Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. A lot of asset classes have struggled through this pandemic, but there's one asset class that has gone in exactly the other direction. That would be data centers. Uh, it's an interesting area and something that we've long thought of as a niche product is something that perhaps is not quite ready for institutional investing, but that may have changed. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have someone who's institutional and has significant experience in this area uh, as part of Principal's real estate investing team in data centers. His name is Ben Wabshaw, and uh, he's a managing director at Principal and here with us on the podcast. So welcome, Ben, to the AFIRE podcast. Hey, Gunnar. Thanks. So uh, let's let's think about it. Okay, so it's it's a hot asset class. Uh, but it's still pretty small uh, and unique in, in the demands it has in terms of operating. And perhaps the operating model is one that we're not familiar with in real estate and, and it is a little difficult for us to do uh, compared to, say, I don't know, office or warehouse, which I guess data centers are somewhere in between those two. Um, can you explain why you find it to be such an attractive uh, investment and, and, and why you classify it in your article as a alternative asset class as being really at that level now? Yeah, well, I think you alluded to a couple of those uh, earlier, but really the strong secular trends are providing some real tailwinds for the data center industry. And as the world becomes increasingly dependent on data and connectivity, the need for data centers really continues to grow. And that demand is, is really driven by what we break down into three different factors. The first of which is the uh, individual consumer. So obviously this is something that we all see in our everyday lives, but connectivity really defines consumers today. And that comes in, in many different factors. There's been a huge evolution in how we buy things, how we interact with each other, and how we're entertained. And media is a great example of that. You know, podcasts were kind of the original on-demand media, but now music, TV series, movies, all of that is on-demand as opposed to a physical media or something that's broadcast on a schedule. And so that's been a huge demand driver for data and connectivity. Social media is another uh, and a new way in how people interact with each other. And uh, that's been a huge driver in the data center sector as well. In addition to individual consumers, you've got the corporate users that uh, have really embraced data and connectivity. And really their whole business cycle has changed because of the widespread availability of that data and the connectivity to their customers. So when you think about how businesses sell their product, marketing today is tailored to the individual consumer. Uh, it's not you know just a broad blast to everyone out there. It, it's really focused on their most likely consumer profile. And so that's really helped focus their marketing dollars and, and really drive top line revenue growth. 
but also the research development and fulfillment process has changed pretty significantly as well. These companies are using advanced data science, predictive analytics, trying to figure out where we need to put our products before the customers even order them. So those types of uses are really increasing the need for that data and processing as well. How we service our customers has really changed as well. That We've seen obviously a, a long-term trend from brick and mortar type locations to mobile applications and web. And so that's, that's really changed how we interact with uh, the business's customers. And really the, the one that's really driven the data center sector recently is how companies allocate their capital. Capital is a precious resource to any company and the advent of cloud computing has allowed these companies to, instead of investing in their own IT platforms, data centers, servers, they can outsource that to a cloud service provider and really get that as a service as opposed to a product that they have to buy. And so that's been a big change for companies as well. You know, hearing you talk about all those uses and all those kind of exploding demand characteristics, and I think it would be difficult not to look at that and go, yeah, wow, that, that's all that's doing is exploding, is that it's not just about storage. I, I, you know, the word warehouse, I think it might be a, a difficult word for us because it, it's, it's limiting us from seeing what one of the, the key requirements for a successful data center are. And, and that has to do with availability, speed, everything else. Can you explain that a little bit in terms of what the user of a warehouse actually, that big quote warehouse really needs? Yeah, yeah. So that really comes down to that third demand driver and that's new technology driving the demand for data centers. And the key for data centers today really is computing and connectivity. Data centers used to be, you know, just a warehouse of information, but now uh, we use data centers differently. We use them as an outsourced computing center so that our small mobile devices and the applications on them can really provide very robust uh, information and, and computation, but it's not done on that device. It's done remotely. And that's led to a need for a decrease in latency or how long it takes to exchange that information. And that's been a, a key factor driving the data center development world is we now need these data centers to be much closer to the ultimate end users. And the technology, you know, everybody thinks about uh, things that are somewhat far-fetched like artificial intelligence, but it's actually being utilized in, uh, in everyday life in, in a lot of industries, but also things like um, the advent and, and widespread rollout of 5G is really gonna provide much more high bandwidth, low latency connectivity all across uh, the world, frankly. And that's going to allow for things like augmented reality, wearable devices, and even more advanced rollout and widespread rollout of autonomous vehicles. All these technological advances are made possible because of the network that's already been established, but it really needs that, that high bandwidth and that low latency to function. And so those things are, are really going to be enabled and, and drive additional demand for data uh, as we see continued growth in that network and those data centers being closer to the end users. You know, when you think about what our lives were like 20 years ago, and if someone had told us, well, and 30 seconds, you can have a whole movie delivered to you at any point. We would have thought that was just insane. 
And now if you have 30 seconds to wait on latency, you're like, what is wrong with this system? It's awful. That's right. We, you know, we really don't have the patience for anything. We're, you know, we're not willing to sit there and watch that circle spin very long. So latency definitely needs to be minimized to really make the system efficient and, and make it all work. So uh, I like to, when looking at real estate, like everyone else, I like to look at what is it that the tenants actually need? What are their requirements? I, I have a feeling that somewhere someone's building a data center that is not going to work as well or will not be preferred. I mean, class A data centers probably don't have the same characteristics as a class A office building. So from a standpoint of, of, of location, from a standpoint of what these, these centers require other than being a box, what what how does this work what do they need sure yeah so similar to all real estate location is key and you know data centers have a really unique position because they're at the confluence of real estate and infrastructure so we not only need the site and the building but we need access to things like power fiber connectivity and so that makes data centers a little bit more unique than a lot of the other asset classes and again back to that idea of latency being close to that end user is very critical from a locational standpoint. And, you know, that those end users could be consumers, they could be a, a company's employees, but the further away you get, the more latency is introduced and the less efficient the whole system is. So being close to those end users is key. But I think another thing is you look at the tenants in this space, the key to understanding this is that these facilities truly are mission critical for these customers. This data center is really the central nervous system of their business. And if they lose connectivity, their business really grinds to a halt. And so the facility has to be secure, it has to be efficient, but most of all, it has to be up and running. When uh, looking at markets or locations where there's very important customers for that data, uh, right now I'm thinking, for example, just because of recent history of Texas, where you have an energy infrastructure challenge um, how how should data centers address that? Because obviously those are valuable markets, but how do you deal with that kind of uncertainty of, of, of some of those lifelines that you require? Sure, yeah. Well, data centers really need three things to operate. They need power, cooling, and connectivity. And so we have to build redundancy into each of those systems so that they're always available. And so the, the power grid question really comes down to the ability to provide backup power to the facility. So we want, first of all, to be located on a power grid that we know is reliable and hopefully it's going to be providing us utility power the vast majority of the time. But there are incidents where that goes down. And so we need systems built into the data center to provide that backup power when the utility power is down. And so that consists of things like diesel generators or uh, what we call UPS systems, uninterruptible power supply. And that is a battery-based system that provides uh, a short-term bridge from the utility power going out until the generators fire up and, and take over. And so that power backup is a, a critical component, but those other things have backups too. So the cooling systems, you've got excess equipment in case there's a malfunction with the equipment. You may have totally separate and independent cooling systems on the fiber side, we have diverse fiber routes. So most of these facilities don't have just a single source of fiber. We've got two or more connections into the building in case something would happen. Somebody's, you know, somebody didn't call before they dig and, and sever our fiber connectivity. We've got a diverse route to continue that uh, without 
any downtime for the tenants within the facility. So as in life, fiber is good. A lot of fiber is better. So <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, rule for, for life, especially for us middle-aged guys, you know, this is kind of important. Uh, all right. So when, when you're looking now, now it's still newish, right? So you don't see a lot of institutions, uh, you know, when, when I was first told that principal was in this space, I was like, really? I, and that's not what I expected right off the bat. Um, as new investors are entering this space, what are some of the mistakes that they might be making or that they should be wary of making as they look at this space? Well, I think one thing to remember is there are data, there are data centers out there that were never really designed to do what's required in today's data center. And that's because we're doing a lot more intensive computing and, and has power use and cooling needs in these buildings at densities that they were never designed for. So you've got some older buildings out there that were designed for maybe a low density enterprise type use or a network switch site for a telecom company. And those facilities just can't provide the power and cooling that's really required in today's use of a data center facility. So that's, that's probably the biggest concern from a functional obsolescence standpoint in the data centers. And something that we want to keep in mind as you kind of reference back to that class A data center that you thought of, or that you mentioned earlier, uh, just having the ability to provide the amount of power cooling that those tenants today need. I was told a story about a quote class A. I, I don't think he even referred to it, but a class. You know, I, I love this idea of a class A data center. Uh, but the clients, uh, you know, big, big marquee names uh, in in the tech world. But uh, essentially, as soon as he finished building the data center, they said, "Tear up the parking lot and build another one." That the demand is that high, you know, that it, it's just like, yeah, the employees will find a place. <laughs> Let's just get this thing built. Uh, that it's just it seems like almost limitless at the moment. Yeah, scalability is important for these companies because once you get in place in a data center, it's really hard to pick up and move. And so the ability to expand that facility or you know accommodate that growth within the facility or nearby is important because it's very expensive for these tenants to try to relocate if they didn't plan ahead and, and didn't have the capacity that they really need. As you look out over what, where we are right now and, and uh, everything I'm seeing seems to predict growth, what, what do you think this is going to look like over the next 10 years as it unfolds? I mean, it looks so different now than it did 10 years ago, so I'm asking you the impossible to, to, to predict, but uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts in terms of where it's, where it's going to go? Yeah, 10 years really is a, a lifetime in any sort of technology-related uh, investment. But I really think that we're at the tip of the iceberg of the institutionalization of data centers as an investment. And I think, you know, today the majority of the data centers are still owned by either the owner-user or a data center operator. And I, I think as investors bring in a lower cost of capital to own that real estate, we're seeing the ownership and operation of data centers start to divide somewhat. And, uh, you know, even as some of the big public REITs have seen this and have been sellers of core non-strategic assets for them to really focus on their higher margin business. So, I think we're going to continue to see that evolution in the data center space as a uh, alternative asset class for institutional investors. And another reason driving that is, you know, as the uncertainty around things like retail or hospitality or even office continues to weigh on those investors, 
they need to find places to allocate their their dollars. And so I think we're going to continue to see alternatives like data centers play a big role in those portfolios going forward. So, Ben, I think we, we've run out of time a bit. This is a fascinating discussion, and I think there's going to be a lot more discussion around data centers in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. And one takeaway that I'm definitely going to keep with me is this thought that data centers are now about to become institutional as an investment asset class. Given that, I want to make sure that I encourage everyone that's listening to this uh, podcast to uh, take a look at Ben's article in the latest issue of Summit. It's Data Centers Center Stage is the name of the article and definitely worth reading with some interesting data as well. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe through one of many uh, subscription services for this podcast here. I'm going to take a look at the list. Uh, we have Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Uh, we are all listed with. So do make sure that you subscribe as soon as you can. So once again, thank you, Ben, for being a part of the AFIRE podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.